That sounded like it was more than just nice to see you. Y'all having full conversations. I don't know about that one. I want to say to our visitors here today, uh, you are our honored guest. And uh, I don't know if you're just passing through, if you're looking for a church home, whatever the case is, we're so happy that you're here. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. In the back of your pew, uh, you'll find a visitor's card. Take that out. Fill it out. We've got a box in the foyer that you can turn that in as you are exiting. And uh, we'll make sure we do our best to reach out to you and invite you back out here to this church uh, because we have a wonderful, wonderful church here. We also have some uh, new members here that I haven't been able to catch yet and put on blast. And I'm going to do that real quick. I think they sit right over here and they are the Morrises. Would you please stand up so we can recognize you? They are some new members here at our church. (laughs) Thank you. They hate when I do that. Uh, uh. But anyway, um, and I also want to say this. With all the new uh, members and new folk that we have here at our church, in particular for the guys, I want to make you aware of this. Um, I didn't ask permission. I just kind of plugged you into various ministries. Um, So if you open up the bulletin and you see communion preparers and you see your name there and you didn't volunteer, that was me. So you can come and fuss at me, uh, but I figured we just put you down and we ask permission later. That's kind of how I operate here. So so if you have a a, a conflict or something like that, just let us know. We'll make sure we'll get you squared away. But with all these new folk coming in, we want to put you to work. Uh, we, want, we want to be proactive and get you plugged in, so, uh, so just be on the lookout uh, for that. Um, the story goes that there were two elderly couples uh, having a conversation. And Fred, uh, Fred, how, how, how was the memory clinic uh, that you went to last month, said one of, the, one of the couples. Fantastic, Fred said. They taught us all the latest psychological techniques. They taught us visualization, association, and it was just great. Uh, And what was the name of the clinic? Fred went blank. He thought and he thought and he thought, but he just couldn't remember the name of that clinic. And then he broke out in a large smile across his face, and he said, "Uh, what do you call that flower with long stems and with thorns, you know? You mean a rose, You mean a rose? He said, yeah, that's it, a rose. That's right, a rose. And then he turned to his wife and he said, Rose, what was the name of that memory clinic again? (laughs) Yes, you got it. (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes we forget things that are very important, don't we? Have you been there before? Have you forgot something that was just, just so important, and then your memory was jarred and you realized that you were in some, some kind of trouble we, we often forget as human beings. I think that's a part of human nature. Uh, God designed us to have our brains and for them to function at high capacities, but sometimes they just don't work the way they should. Amen? Um, so during the month of April, uh, we're going to be starting a new sermon series entitled The Born Again Identity. You like that? The Born Again Identity. And we're going to be working our way through this, and, and basically the premise behind this series of lessons is really to encourage one another to keep our spiritual identity in a broken and fallen world. Because, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you ever think about it or if we spend too much time thinking about it, but our faith is under attack. Every single day our faith is under attack, and sometimes we just forget and we neglect our born-again identity because Satan gets the best of us. So throughout this series, during this month of April, we're going to be taking time to flesh out some of our identities that we need to be reminded of as we live every day and work out our faith 
in fear and trembling. So we've got a four-part series, and uh, we're going to begin today with talking about living unashamed. Living unashamed. I don't know if you've seen this movie, uh, but Jason Bourne was a fictional superhero played by the actor Matt Damon. And the movie series begins with this character that was battered and bruised and suffering from amnesia. And as the movie unfolds, he eventually begins to remember who he is and that the forces of evil are out to destroy his life. And like I said earlier, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we often suffer from spiritual amnesia. And we need to be reminded of our born-again identity. And again, the, the, the topic that we're going to be discussing this morning is, is to live unashamed or how to do that. So if we look at our first verse this morning, it's found in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. And it says something very, very profound and powerful here. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then also for the Gentile. And I want to make you clear of this, that sometimes it's hard to live unashamed because we live in a broken society that is post-Christian in nature. And the last thing that people want to hear from us is, is Jesus talk. Did you know that? That's the last thing that people want to hear out of your mouth, this, this Jesus character. So what we like to do is we like to talk about Jesus in secret and confess him in secret, much like this guy that we read about in Scripture that goes by the name of Nicodemus. So if you have your Bibles again this morning, flip over to John chapter 3, and for a moment we're going to be studying the story of Nicodemus, this character in the Bible that was somewhat ashamed of his association with Jesus and decided to talk to him in secret because he was a little fearful. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, you guys read along with me. The Bible says here, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracles or miraculous signs uh, you were doing if God was not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Unless he has a born again identity. So here we see a couple of things that that are kind of interesting that I want to pull out in this text. First of all, this guy Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisaic council, if you you think about it. What Pharisees were is they were the progressive sect of the uh, Jewish community. So the Pharisees, they believed in an afterlife. They believed in the resurrection. They were kind of the more progressive Christians, right? So they clapped in worship service and maybe read from the NIV. I don't know, but they were progressive, right? Consider this progressive group. And then it goes on to say that he was a part of the Jewish ruling council. So uh, in other words, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. And what we know about the Sanhedrin is they were kind of like the board of trustees, if you will, at a church, right? So they had some power. They had some control. They had some influence, And this was this man, Nicodemus. And the Bible says that he came and he approached Jesus at night. And I believe that he came and he approached Jesus at night because he was ashamed, right? That he was even associating with this radical Jesus character. 
And he didn't want to be seen. So he came to Jesus by night, and Jesus said something to him that changed the very course of his life. He said, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, then you've got to be born again. Now, what does that look like? Last week was an amazing Sunday, wasn't it? If you were here last week, oh my goodness, what a great Sunday. Uh, We had a baptism, and Zach came and put Jesus Christ on in baptism, and he was born again, and now he has a brand new identity. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, now that Zach is a new babe in Jesus Christ, what is it that he needs to know? What is it that I can tell him? What do I need to encourage him with? The first thing that came to mind was, well, I probably need to tell Zach that now that he is a baptized believer and in Jesus Christ, Satan is going to be upset. And he's going to try to throw everything at you to deter you from your faith and discourage you, right? I could easily say that. So be on guard, right? But then I thought about it. I said, you know what? I probably need to tell Zach something different. I probably tell him, need to tell him instead of being reactionary that maybe he needs to be proactive, right? And one of the things that I think our new disciples need to be reminded of is that when you become a Christian, you now have a mission. And it's not to stay away from sin, but it's to do something proactive. And you're asking me, well, Jason, what is it that I need to be proactive with? Well, if we continue on in the text, Jesus tells us, right? So if we look at the natural progression of the story, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus said, well, how can I be born a second time? Surely I can't enter the womb a second time. And Jesus said, you you got it all wrong. You're mistaken and you're a teacher of Israel and you don't don't get it. And then he kind of shares what needs to happen after you're born again. What what proactive uh, uh, duty and responsibility you have now that you're born again. And And he tells us that in verse number 13. So if you look at John chapter 3, verse number 13, it says... No one has ever gone into heaven except the Son, or the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. In verse number 14, Mike goes to that next slide. Verse number 14 is profound. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So as I thought about this, what do I need to tell Zach or these new Christians? Well, what I need to tell them is that, hey, you need to be proactive in sharing what you just witnessed and what you just went through with other people. And it'd be, it's amazing how, how being proactive does something to your faith. It helps you defend Satan when he comes, right? When you're proactive in service to the kingdom and sharing the message with other people, I think that's a very proactive way to function. And I think this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. You know what? You've got to have this born-again identity, and then you've got to live unashamed. If you've got to tell other people, you've got to tell other people about me. And that's what we're in the business of doing, church, letting people know that we're unashamed about this Jesus that we know. And Jesus said we've got to lift them up. If you look at verse number 13, you guys see that it's a sentimental echo. It's a big word, big word that basically means you've heard this story somewhere else, right? Verse 13 and 14. 
And you've, you've, you've heard of this story in, in, in Numbers chapter 21, right? Jesus is talking about lifting me up, just like Moses lifted up the serpent. What happened in Numbers 21? You guys remember? If you go back into the Old Testament, Moses was leading the children of Israel around the desert, and they begin to pl- complain. It's hot. My feet hurt. There's no water. And God said, you keep up complaining, something's going to happen to you. So they kept on complaining, and you know what God did? He sent poisonous snakes to bite the people. Wow. what a way to go, right? Poisonous snakes to bite the people. So these poisonous snakes were biting up the people, and then they repented, and the Lord said to Moses, you know what? If you lift up the snake on on a stick and lift it up, and if people look at that snake, they'll be healed, and and, and those snakes will go away, and people won't won't be hurt anymore. So that's what they did, and we see this echo of this text. So what does this mean? It means that life is full of deadly poison. This life that we live is it's full of deadly poison. It's full of hatred. If you live long enough, you, you will have encountered hatred. This life is full of deadly poison because there's gossip that destroys people. This life is full of deadly poison because there is addiction. This life is full of deadly poison because there is worry. This life is full of deadly poison because there is a love of money and a pride issue that saturates our culture. And we need to be saved from these things, church. We need help. And that's why Jesus says, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men unto me. We need to help people that are struggling to navigate the storms of life by lifting up Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be proactive with, church. Because there are people in this community, people in this region that are struggling and sin sick. And what they need to see from us disciples is us going, I am unashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here he is. Here's what he looks like. And he can help you weather the storms of your life. Chances are you've got a neighbor. You've got a friend or a family member that is struggling. And what they need to hear is they need to hear about Jesus. And the Lord is pleased when we put action behind our belief and we show God that we mean business. Like I said before, we live in a culture of coexistence. If you look around long enough, you'll see these bumper stickers, right, with all the different symbols. Coexist, right? The other day, Alayla was telling me she was at school, and she has a friend, and Alayla was trying to invite the friend to to church. I said, now that's a preacher's daughter, amen, right, trying to invite this little girl to church, and the little girl told Alayla, I don't believe in God. I was thinking to myself, wow, What we have now is we have a culture where parents are teaching their children not to believe in God anymore. I mean, and we also have a culture that says we need to be able to coexist, right? And everybody can share their own religious beliefs and systems. But as soon as Christians speak, what happened to us? Be quiet. I don't want to hear about that Jesus character, right? And sometimes we get discouraged and we get ashamed and we don't like to share it as much. But the Bible tells us that we should live unashamed, right? So when you're at the grocery store and you're talking to that lady in line, you should say, God is good today, isn't he? Right? Right? God is good all the time. It's amazing. I'm so happy to be in God's kingdom. Right? Speak that talk because that's what people need to hear. And Jesus wants to see that from us. He wants to see our faith in action. If you look at Mark chapter 2, you guys remember this story very well. In Mark chapter 2, there was a paralytic, right? And this paralytic had some friends. 
And this paralytic and these friends wanted to encounter Jesus. So what the friends did with the paralytic is they built a a hole in the roof and lowered this guy down and put this paralytic on a bed right before Jesus. And you know what the text says in Mark chapter 2, verse number 5, that is just so powerful and moving to me. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, then he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus wants to see our faith in action, church, right? But we're really good at just talking and processing and praying, and all that's good, but we've got to put our faith in action. We need to live unashamed, and if we're doing that, I think God is well pleased. Faith in action, confession, lifting him up. I don't know how many of you grew up in the South. But I grew up in the South. I show hand, any Southern folk here? This way? Amen, amen. Okay, put them down. Um, we're not counting Texas. But uh, if you're from the South, <laughs> if you're from the South, um, you know, church is really big in the South, right? If you grew up in the South, all your friends went to church. You didn't know anybody that didn't go to church. And I grew up going to church in the South. And one of the favorite pastimes uh, going to church in the, in the South is what happens after church, right? So usually when you go to church, after church is time to eat, right? And in the South, they have these wonderful uh, buffets. You guys don't know anything about Ryan's, do you? Or Golden Corral, right? Okay, amen, right? right? And you would see everybody from church at Ryan's immediately after the service, right? And then we always had these jokes. We got to get out early so we can beat the Baptists. You guys remember the stories, right? (laughs) And we would go and we would go to Ryan's and it would be packed, right? And there's an assortment of food. People are there happy. Everybody's dressed up in their Sunday clothes. And then what do we do? We sit down and we get our food. And if you grew up the way I did, you better not put that fork to your mouth unless you do what? You better pray. Thank the Lord for that food, right? And what we would do is after church, we would go to Golden Corral or Ryan's, and we would sit down, and the whole family and part of the church would be there, and someone would have to lead a prayer. And usually it was one of the elders or deacons or something like that. And what they would do is they would stand up in this crowded restaurant while people were talking and laughing, and kids were running around and acting crazy, and they would have to say a prayer. And you would always hear every single word in that prayer, wouldn't you? No, you probably wouldn't hear that prayer at all because it was so loud, but we had to do it, right? And one day I had the bright idea of going up to one of the deacons at our church and saying to them, why do you have to lead a prayer every time we come to this crowded restaurant and nobody can hear? And he said, because we want people to see that we're Christians. And I was thinking to myself, everybody here just got out of church. I don't understand why we are, why we are doing this because we want people to know And they need to see us praying, right? And I like that idea of letting people know about your faith. I think that's so profound and it's so important. Now, whatever means you use, I'm not going to knock, but I thought the prayer in the midst of other church folk was kind of strange. But we've got to figure out how to confess him in some way. And if your way is to lead a prayer in a restaurant, hey, you you do it. But don't knock me if I don't, right? Because I remember the day I went to Ryan's after church. And I was sitting with one of the elders and the youth minister, and I picked up that fork and I put it to my mouth and I began to eat. And the youth minister said to me, I, I, I didn't hear you bless the Lord for that food. And I said to him, I wasn't talking to you anyway, right? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have done that. But that's the truth, right? That's what 
All I'm saying, church, is we got to figure out some way to lift them up. And I don't know what means you are using, but use whatever means you can to let people see that light living in you because that's what the Lord wants from us, to live unashamed and to figure out how to lift them up. So if it's that you're, you, you've got that bumper sticker on your car, you, hey, you do that. If you're leading prayers in the restaurant, you, hey, you do whatever you can do to lift him up. That's what he wants from us. We can't be quiet about this, Jesus. We've got to learn how to live unashamed. Maybe you invite somebody to the Noah movie. No, better not do that. All right. Or son of God, or God is not dead. Whatever you do, get that message out so that people will know about Jesus because Jesus wants us to live like this. Go to this next slide, Mike. Jesus wants us to live as a lighthouse. Go to that next slide for me, Mike. Next slide. Um, as this lighthouse. I love this picture. It's a very artistic uh, depiction, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a picture of a lighthouse. And I had to do my research. Now, um, my wife is from um, the New England area, and if you ever go to the East Coast or Northeast, you, they have these beautiful lighthouses all throughout the, the East Coast, and they're, they're just amazing, right? Um, and even on the West Coast, we have some lighthouses, and lighthouses are, are constructed and built for very specific purposes, right? The lighthouse is used to, to help fishermen or sailors or whoever's out on the rough seas or the waters to navigate their way back home into port and to be able to see because it's dark and it's difficult on the seas at times. And fishermen and sailors could easily perish, lose their lives from the winds and the waves without the direction of a lighthouse, right? Lighthouses are very, very important to people out on the seas where it gets rough and life is hard and life gets difficult. We need lighthouses. And the duty of a lighthouse operator is pretty difficult. You see, usually when you see a lighthouse, you see a house right next to it. And it's the person there, their job is to take care of that, take care of that, that lighthouse. And what they often have to do is they have to climb the flights of stairs. And if you've been, ever been up a lighthouse, you know there's some small, narrow stairs. And sometimes there are as many as, as 20 or 200 steps that they've got to walk up to. And typically what they would do is they would light the lighthouse um, at, at, at sunset. When the sun was going down, they would flip that switch and the lighthouse would go on. And they would have to man their station until dusk in the morning. And oftentimes it was a long shift. They had to walk up those stairs three or four times to make sure that the light was still bright and the oil was in there. And that they wiped down the windows for the, 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 the make sure, making sure that the, the, the dust and the smog and, and the smoke hadn't covered that so that people could see that light. It was, a, it was a tough task to be a lighthouse operator because it kept you busy and you had to do something. But without the lighthouse, a lot of people would lose their lives. And what I love about this text in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus spoke in a parable, and this parable made a lot of sense to people at the time. Jesus would often speak to people in parables. And he spoke to people who, in this context, made their living off of the sea or the water. So when Jesus was speaking to the individuals, they completely got what he was trying to say. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone 
in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus was communicating to the people at the time that when people are out on the seas, the open seas and it's rough, and there's winds and there's waves crashing over the boat, they need something to focus on. They need some light to help them get through the difficulties of traveling on the sea. I think Jesus is telling us the same thing today. There are people all around us living in a sin-soaked and a difficult culture, and they need help. They're drowning. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to shine our lights brightly so that people can see and navigate through the difficulties of of life and to be able to see the true light in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to do. And we've got to make sure that we are putting the work in to keep our lighthouses lit. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give honor to the Father. So this morning, I'm simply encouraging you to remember your born-again identity, the reason you are a Christian, the reason you gave your life to the Lord is so that you can have this mission of sharing the same message with other people. And I hope and pray that you depart this place this morning. Let your light shine before men as you depart this place. I hope as you begin your work week this week, you'll say in your mind, what shine brightly so that people can see clearly and navigate through the difficulties of life, and maybe somehow become a Christian someday. That's your born-again identity. And sometimes I think, church, we forget that. But we need you. The Lord needs you. People in this community need you. And this morning, I hope and pray that you'll consider shining your light very brightly this week and helping somebody else out. We've got an invitation song prepared. If there is anyone here that may be on the seas of life and struggling to find their way. Maybe the winds are knocking you left and right and the waves are crashing over your boat and you're trying to figure out how to make it through this life and you're having struggles, you're having difficulties. You've come to the right place. And Jesus wants you to give your life to him and he can help you navigate through the difficulties and the storms. If you haven't done that, you ought to consider doing that today. And if you are a Christian and your light hadn't been shining as bright, as it once did, or maybe you've been neglecting to keep your lighthouse lit, we would encourage you to come forward and let the church pray with you and pray for you to encourage you to do that. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of